Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Well, good morning, friends. Great to be with you. And we are going to tackle a topic today that has been a source of incredible blessing in my life. It has been a source of amazing conflict in my marriage. And it has been a source that has revealed my fear, my insecurities, my doubts. We are talking about money and possessions today. And you may be asking, Kegler, you drew the short straw. Politics last week, money this week. And I would just tell you, I can't wait to talk about this subject today. And I will tell you, the Lord worked me over this week. And uh, I hope in a really good way, convicting way, uh, he does the same uh, to you. How's that for an introduction, right? Well, I would just tell you that my heart is swayed so many different directions around uh, money and possessions. And so let me just show you back on um, Father's Day of this year, Trisha was sweet enough. If y'all know us, we love to go fishing together. And she was sweet enough to let me buy a fishing kayak. And so you'll see the picture right here. It's a sit on top fishing kayak. Okay. And so what you'll know, it's really nice, like more money probably than I should have spent on that. But you'll notice it's, it's, it's a paddle kayak. It's a sit-on-top paddle kayak. And so we had a ball. Part of the problem was anytime we'd go fishing, I'd be on the kayak and she'd be bummed on the bank. And then she'd be in the kayak and I'd be bummed on the bank. And I said, we, we've got to get another kayak so we, can both, so we can both do this. Justified that really well in my heart. And so anyway, so I borrowed a kayak that was a mistake because the kayak I borrowed was this one, okay? So this is a Hobie Pro Angler and you notice it's not paddle, which when you're fishing, you gotta put the paddle, pick up your reel, it's not near as effective. But ah, look what hangs from the bottom, flippers. Okay, that is a pedal kayak so I can go anywhere. In this particular kayak, you can do donuts okay, and get anywhere you want. So I borrowed that kayak and I was done. My heart was so dissatisfied with the kayak that I had originally bought that it was like, I have got to have this, the fishing fund, we're starting, we're putting all the money I get for Christmas and birthdays and all that in this deal. And Trisha's like, your lack of contentment is scaring me on this deal. Right, And so my question is, what, what is it for you? Like, is it uh, maybe technology? It's the next thing, the next iPhone. It may be a house or a neighborhood or some something, but what is it for you that just grabs your heart and takes you down a path that we're gonna find out is probably, probably not biblical and good uh, for us. And so let me just pastor the room for a second. First of all, we are not asking for money today, okay? We're not starting a campaign today. 
We are not doing any of that. We are talking about a biblical worldview of money and possessions. And so everybody can relax. We're not making an ask. We are just gonna talk about that today, hopefully in some ways that are helpful. So let me give you some facts about the Bible in regards to money and possessions. There's 2,350 verses in the Bible that are devoted to the topic of money. The Bible says twice as much about money as faith and prayer combined. 15% of Jesus's recorded words are about money. And Jesus spoke more about money than heaven and hell. And why do you think that is? My hunch is God wants your attention on this topic because possessions, money and possessions, maybe more so than anything else, reveal the state of your heart. Where your treasure is, Matthew 6 says, there your heart will also be, Jesus said to us. And so part of the problem in this area is we're battling, um, we're battling kind of the pull of the world. The world is saying to us all the time, so many different messages, you need to have this standard of living, or you need to live in this neighborhood, or you need to have these possessions, or you need to make this much money. So we're battling the pull of the world. We're battling the pull of our flesh, which is the I wants. Okay, I want this, I want that. My discontentment with my kayak, right, went, went crazy in this particular area. And then, maybe a little bit of a surprise to you, we're battling the pull of a Christian culture that is off on this topic. And so my hunch is, I know I have, that we've bought some lies that are different than what the scripture says about this topic of money and possessions. So we're gonna do what we've been doing for the last two and a half months. We're gonna talk about what does the Bible say about money and possessions? How do we respond in humility? And how do we love like ambassadors? And so let me just pull out to 100,000 feet for a second and remind you the purpose of the Christian life. Okay, the purpose of the Christian life is not comfort, or financial freedom. The purpose and goal of the Christian life is for us to be Christ-like, for us to be dependent. And I say all the time, God is in the business of creating dependence upon himself. That's what he's doing. And money and possessions is one of those places that it happens. And we get drawn offside all the time by this, the pull of the world, the flesh, and then even our Christian culture. So what I'm gonna do is I wanna paint the heart target for you. So I'm gonna read three passages, so stay with me in the midst of that, and don't get worried too much about the execution and the details as I read them. Pay attention to the heart of these three passages as we go through. So 2 Corinthians 8, one through four. This is the Macedonian church Paul's talking to that is raising money for the church in Jerusalem that's struggling. And here's what he says. Now, brothers, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction and suffering, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Meaning, as they were generous, they were free. There was liberality, for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. They were unprompted. It was spontaneous. 
They were begging us with much urging for the favor. Look at that, begging us with much, with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. So they were on pay, let me help. I wanna help my friends, okay, beyond their ability. Let's look at Acts 4, 32 through 35, says this. The congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them, and with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land, which is the wealthy class in that day, or owners of houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Get the picture of what the body of Christ looked like in the first century church? So generous, so free, so spontaneous. And um, you may fire me for this, but Hebrews 10, uh, 32 through 34 is a passage I've read a bunch but as I went over it, it became active and alive to me like it never has before. I just had never paid attention to it. So let's read this one together. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, so after you had come to know Christ and the gospel, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners, and then get this, and accepted joys, joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. I just had never dove in. Just with their heart towards likely the government or whoever coming to take their possessions. And those three passages, as much as any in the scripture, just talk about what the heart of Christ would have us think and believe and act in terms of possessions and money. And I'm kind of like, I finished some of my study and I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm not even close. And here's the sad thing. I don't know that I know anybody in the US that's even close. And so of all the topics we've covered in the Worldview series, I'm like, it feels to me like this is the one where we're not even close to the biblical standard. And so what do we do with those passages? And so some of us may just say, oh, that's hyperbole. You know, it's, it's just there to kind of give us a picture. I don't think so. I think it's there to describe the heart of what God wants for us as we give. Or you read those three passages and you see the heart of the people and you think that's overwhelming, I'll never get there. And that's a little bit about what was going on in my heart as I studied and I pulled back and I said, okay, I, I don't know that I can get there. But what I can do is I can take one step towards being more generous and moving towards the heart that's explained in scripture. And so that's our goal for today. And so I don't know where you are on that generosity spectrum, okay? But the goal today is for us to take one step towards giving and living more generously. 
And so I'm gonna give you a little bit of a framework here on how to think about this as we wanna take one step towards generosity. This will be a reminder for some of you and it'll be for new for some others. But four things we wanna remember how we think biblically about money and possessions. And the first one is that God owns it all. He owns everything. Psalm 24, one, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Haggai 2.8, it's great, Pat. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. So here's the deal. The money that's in your wallet right now, your debit card, your credit card, your investment accounts, the home you live in, the cars you drive, they are not yours. They are to be used for the advancement of the gospel. Number two, man is accountable to God for how he manages the resources that he has given you. And so in Matthew 25, 14 through 28, I hope you'll go home this afternoon, pull out your Bibles and read this. But it's basically the story of a man that was wealthy, went on a journey and he trusted his workers with his possessions. It's what the word, the word actually says, possessions. And he calls them talents in the parable and he gives the three workers differing amounts. He gives one five talents, one two talents, and one one talent. And the guys that got the five and the guys that got the two went and invested that and doubled their money. And then the one took the talent that God gave him and basically buried it. And so it says in that passage, it says after a long time, it was a while before the, 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 he came back. And so sometimes time in this thing gets our heart off a little bit. But when he came back, he says to the ones with the five and the two, well done, you've been a faithful in a few things. I'll give you many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who got one talent said, Landowner, I know you had expectations and I was afraid. I was fearful. Here's the original amount. And it goes on, the parable goes on to say that, that the landowner said, you wicked, lazy slave, you knew I had expectations. Take the one you had and give it to the one who has 10 talents. And there are some really harsh words in that passage for those who waste the possessions that don't invest them for the kingdom, that are not aggressive with what they do with the things that God has given them. So what can we learn from this passage right here as we talk about accountability before God? We know that God's entrusted us with resources to be used for his kingdom. He expects us to use them wisely. There is going to be an accounting for how we steward our resources. Even there's gonna be a judgment and some good judgment and some not so good judgment that's gonna come with how we steward these things. We know that there's a reward. If you're faithful in the small things, he will entrust you with the opportunities to be faithful in bigger things. And then we know that there's eternal consequences for what we do with our money and our possessions. We are accountable. Next, there's an intimate connection between a person's character and how they handle money and possessions. Matthew 6 says this, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where th thieves do not break in or steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It goes on in verse 24. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Money and possessions will compete for the primary space in your heart that is reserved for the Lord. Throughout other places in scripture, and if you wanna study, these will be great for you to go read and look at. Zacchaeus, when he released funds, it reflected a change of his heart as he paid back what he had stolen. The early church in Acts 2, what we read, they just released funds and it says it was a reflection of their heart. The rich young ruler's unwillingness to depart with his possessions reflected his heart. And so the bottom line is you care about what you invest in. And so I don't know what it is. It may be stocks. My hunch is you're checking how the stock market's doing fairly regularly. You may have a car that you really like, that your heart's invested in, and you're spending some time taking care of it, putting money into it, making sure it works right. I'm super gentle with my kayak, right? And so I just care about it and I want it to look good and perform well. And I have other things besides kayaks that my heart gets tied to. And so lastly, number four, be content with God's provision. First Timothy 6, six through 10 says this, it says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Godliness, Great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. We gotta stop. There's your definition of what you ought to be content with. Food and covering. How's that sit? I'm kind of back to those heart passages where I'm not even close. I'm so far off from God's heart for what he wants us to to do in this area of money and possessions. It goes on to say, but those who wanna get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And so I know so many of us long for more, whether that's a nicer house or a nicer vehicle or more money in a savings account or more money for retirement. All of us us long for that. But I would just tell you, God's probably protecting you. And as we think about our yearnings for more things and the wants, we need to keep that in mind that God may be protecting us. Proverbs 37 through nine just says, two things I ask of you, do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion that I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? So I've got plenty and I don't need you or that I I not be in want and steal and profane the name of God. So the Lord's telling us, that, that's, that's contentment. And I will tell you, I have, there was a season for Trisha and I. So when the, um, I left the business world back in um, 1990-ish 
And Trisha and I had four years where I was on Young Life staff, and so I took a significant pay cut to go on Young Life staff to hang out with high school kids. And Trisha was working, and I made less than she did, and we were fine, because it was two of us. But then guess what? We got pregnant with twins, okay? And things changed for us. And the, the dollars and cents just did not add up. It just didn't make sense. And let me tell you what God did. We had a shower from a bunch of friends where we didn't buy diapers for six months. We had friends that came together and gave us a Suburban. We had friends that sent us on vacations to their houses at the lake or in Colorado or whatever that is. And I look back at that season and you know what God did when we were, when we were in want? He built my faith and my trust in him. And so it's not so scary to be content with food and covering. God will take care of you. And so let's ask the question, how do we respond in humility? Where there's really three ways uh, that we do that. I would just tell you, you can't move towards biblical generosity if you don't acknowledge the battle for your heart in this area. Folks, we are so deceived and so deluded by our culture. And so what I wanna do for a second, this is where some of that, that off Christian culture comes in. I've got five questions for you. Okay, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand or give responses or anything like that, but I want you to look at those and I want you to ask, hey, have I, have I bought the lie here? Is, the, is this what I believe? And so let me ask you some of these questions. So number one, if I give 10% of my income, I am faithful and generous. Have you bought that? That, that may be exactly true. You may be faithful in money and possessions, but you may not be. And using that as a standard, a percentage or an amount as a standard, it's helpful, but it's not sufficient. It's not enough. Second one, when I reach the next stage of life, I'll approach giving differently. So even my young adult friends that are here, right? When I, when I get a different job or I reach a certain age, I'm gonna give differently. Uh, or once our kids, for our families, once our kids are out of the house, man, that's gonna free up some cash and I'm gonna give differently then. And God didn't want us to wait. He wants us to be generous now. Third one, it's wise to make full provision for retirement and emergencies. Maybe, but, but I don't know your situation. There's very few people I know the details of exactly what's happening in their homes and with their finances. And there's a chance that might be the right thing for you, that you need to fully fund um, retirement and emergency funds. There's also a good chance that God may ask you to give and be generous in a way that doesn't allow you to do that. Fourth, the more I have, the more God has blessed me. All right. We don't have time for me to get on this high horse, okay? But I went to Oral Roberts University, okay? And I'm super thankful for it, okay? I was discipled there, learned my Bible there, all that kind of stuff. But there was a prosperity gospel that was woven deep into that place that was dangerous is the word. 
And so if you have been influenced by leaders or churches that are telling you that the more, you, more money you give, the more money you're gonna get, or I'm good, man, I'm blessed because I've got all this stuff, all these pretty things that I have or that I own, that is a lie and it will do all kinds of damage to you because it doesn't allow your faith roots to grow deep. It produces shallow believers. And lastly, I would give more to the church, but I don't agree with everything our church does. Neither do I, <laughs> okay? Look, I would love to be king and do exactly what I wanna do, but that's not healthy, that's not good for us. There are men and women at our church that are together thinking about how do we spend money? How do we do ministry? What does that look like? And if you're waiting to get 100% aligned with everything we do, you're gonna wait for a long time. And so I would tell you, push through that so that you can be generous. And so what do, we, what do we do? As we go through those questions, there's a ton more that our Money Wise team has and we'll have as resources, but you've gotta start asking yourself questions about where's my heart? So the biblical standard's so far away, how do we take this one next step? Secondly, you can't move toward biblical generosity if you're not aligned with your spouse. I was talking this morning with several of the guys that put on the service. They had fights yesterday, right, with their wives over money. And so I will tell you, Trish and I could not be further apart on how we think about money, okay? We just, from the very get-go, I would balance the checkbook one way, she'd look at it and say, I don't get that, she'd do it another way. We came up with the same answer, but I, I just didn't get it. And then as we've gone on, as we've continued to talk about that, we just don't think about money the same. I've got a really good friend years ago that I loaned uh, a, a good chunk of money to, and he was really faithful to pay it back. And then he had a season where he, he, uh, he did really well and made quite a bit of money and then all of that money is basically gone. And so uh, he was telling me that and I just said, hey Bob, would it be helpful uh, for, for us to come in, some of your buddies come in and give some money to kind of help you through this season. I had seen him as faithful, but Church had some real questions about the stewardship of his, of his finances during that season when we had a lot. And I, I was ready to run over her. I was like, hey, this is the right thing. We're doing this. This is the amount we need to give my friend. And so we got together and she was talking like, hey, I, I, I don't, I'm glad to do some, but I'm not thinking what you're thinking. So I just said, okay, let's go away for a few days and let's come back with a range of what we think we could give. And what the Lord did in my heart over those three days is he helped me get neutral. But it took a while and it took some work. And I came back and I said, okay, Trish, here's, here's my range. Trish said, okay, I prayed, here's our range. And crazy enough, the bottom of my range was the top of her range. And we said, okay, I'm gonna trust that that number that I was wanting to do, okay, wasn't the right thing. Can I tell you, God cares more about you being aligned with your spouse than he does about you being right or getting what you want. And I will tell you, I know a ton of marriages that this is an issue and you've gotta grind it out because if you're not 
one in money, chances are you're lacking in oneness in other places. And so you can't move towards biblical generosity if you're not aligned with your spouse. Thirdly, you can't move toward biblical generosity if you're making your money and possession decisions in isolation. Okay, the way of a man is right in his own eyes, but in its end is death, Proverbs 14, 12. The heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick, who can understand it? Jeremiah 17, nine. And I will tell you the pull of the culture, the pull of our flesh, the pull of the world, and the deceitfulness of your heart makes you unworthy to make these decisions in isolation. You can't do it. And this is such a problem in our Christian culture is that we kind of say, okay, I wanna be in community for all these other reasons, but we're, we're not talking about this. And folks, we've got to break through that glass ceiling because I'm not trustworthy, you're not trustworthy. Okay, to do that apart from God's word and the counsel of other people and how you're spending your money because we're deceived and we're deluded and we're so far away from that biblical standard. And so I would just tell you, start talking about money in your community groups. If you don't have a group or you're trying to get in a group, get with trusted brothers and sisters that are Christians. Remember folks, Jesus, 15% of his words, his recorded words were about money. This is a really big deal because it reveals your heart. And just let me just update you on a little vision change that we've had from our Money Wise team that helps our community groups and our people think well. So we've done it all different ways kind of through the time, but we really like what we're doing right now is you can, as a community group, you can bring in a Money Wise coach into your community group for a few weeks and he, can, he or she can help you talk through the things that may be difficult for you to talk through. You may need some help, it's okay. This is a hard topic. And so our Money Wise team will help you make practical decisions on budgeting and spending and emergency funds and investments. And they'll help you talk through how you do that in a way that, that talks about or that gets you to biblical generosity. And so take advantage. We've got our re-engage groups that are going through. Once they finish their 16 weeks in their closed groups, we're asking them if they can to spend four more weeks on the back end to do uh, the Money Wise curriculum, because it's such a problem in our marriages that we're not aligned on those things. So start talking about it in, commu in your community. Lastly, how, how do we love like ambassadors? And so I just wanna ask you for, so how, what, what if we get this right, City Bridge? What if we take one step or two steps or five steps or 10 steps towards biblical generosity. Every single week in the Worldview series, we've talked about, hey, we're losing ground in identity. We're losing ground in gender. We're losing ground in politics. We're losing, the church is losing ground. If we get this right and we start living generously, I get to get up here and say, hey, we're taking ground. The church is moving. God is doing amazing things in us and through us and for our church. And so what if we, what if we get this right? 
So the first thing you need to think about as you think about how do you love like ambassadors is just how are you gonna provide and invest in the discipleship of your family? You need to spend money, resources, possessions on the discipleship of your family. Some of the greatest stuff we did as parents is we took our kids out of North Dallas and we took them on mission trips to Monterey, which was really hard. We took them to Monterey and we had mice running over our luggage in the middle of the night. It was hard, it was hot. The rooster chorus started at 3.30 a.m., right? All of those things, my kids, our family looks back and that was awesome. That was a great time. And you know what it built into my kids? All three of my kids have a deep love for other cultures and a deep love for people that don't look like them or act like them. And they're not perfect in that, but man, they're looking to do ministry to folks that aren't, aren't like them. So do mission trips. Model generosity with your kids. And so I don't know how you wanna do that. If you set up when they start getting an allowance early, buckets of money that they, that they give, that they save, that they spend, however you wanna do that, our Money Wise team can help you. But you wanna bring your kids in early or grandkids in early to how to do that. And so we had some good friends when we were at Dallas at the Watermark campus that basically did for us, this may be a big thing now, I haven't heard too much about it, but basically did the 12 days of Christmas for us during Christmas. So the first day, they kind of ding-dong ditched it and they left one thing on our doorstop, on our doorstep. The next night, there were two things and they didn't say anything. We had no idea who it was. There were no notes, there were nothing. And so all of a sudden the family's like, who is this? What are we gonna do? How are we gonna figure this out? But this is awesome, we're having a great time. Five, five golden rings, five Krispy Kreme donuts, right? Showed up at our house. And so that family was doing it together and they were being generous. And so we look back as the recipients and say, that was incredible. And then we did it a couple of times for some other families and it was even better. And so include your family, include your kids in some of that. Secondly, after you disciple your kids or not after while you're doing that, you wanna, you wanna invest in God's kingdom work. And I just wanna tell you, you wanna start with your church. The place where you're getting discipled and you're growing and you're in community and you're connecting and your needs are being met, that's the place that you wanna start. And so I love what we're doing inside the walls here. I love how we're discipling kids. I love how we're discipling students. I love how we're discipling adults. There's amazing things that are happening here and it's worthy of investment. I would tell you that. What's happening outside the walls is growing and getting better. Our city engagement footprint that we've been praying about is growing through our neighboring ministry, our health services at the clinic, Skylark. If you haven't figured out what that is, it's gonna be a great opportunity for us to reach into communities that are underprivileged. And so can I just take a second and celebrate the Lord's generosity? And so I don't know, it's a little bit of the backstory. So for the last three or four years, okay, we have as a church, we have more than met our budget, but there hadn't been a lot of cushion, okay? So we haven't had a lot of cushion in that. And so we've tightened our belt, COVID hit, and always had more giving than we did expenses. But I will tell you at the end of the year this year, God provided in some amazing ways. And so we have a little bit of surplus for the first time in three or four years around here. Let me tell you what you are gonna do tomorrow. 
you're gonna send $10,000 to Ukraine, to two churches that are on the front lines. One of the churches in Kharkov, which you hit on the radio or on the TV every single night. And we've had conversations, I haven't, but our connection has. Conversation with the pastor is, hey, the bomb hasn't hit our place yet. The other place is a place for refugees. They've got a bomb shelter and folks stop there on the way as they're fleeing to Poland and they're doing places to sleep and food and giving them bags to make that journey. That's what you're doing. And so we don't know if that's the beginning or the end of that. We're gonna try to set up a way for you to be involved. Like if you wanna do more than what you do for the church, we're working on that. What we don't know is if Russia succeeds, okay, how trustworthy is gonna be the process to get money over there? We don't know. And we don't know if this is just the beginning, it's the first thing we're gonna do, or are we gonna do more? But that's what you're doing because of the generosity of the body here. And we can't wait to do more. Cannot wait to do more. And the last thing, we just want you to grow. I want you to grow and being ready to do spontaneous good works towards others. How can we set aside our resources so that we can do great things for other people. Spontaneous giving's a blast. Letting student ministry use your suburban. If you've got a lake house or a place, letting them do that. Use your house. All the, it's amazing. So many good things that are happening around here, but there's so much more that we can do in God's kingdom. And so let me close with this. My heart is that we would become hilariously generous. That's my heart. And so 2 Corinthians 9, 7 said, the Lord, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And you know what the Greek meaning of that word? It's hilaron is the Greek meaning. It means hilarious. The Lord loves a hilarious giver. The joy of the Acts church. The joy of that church in Hebrews. That's the way we wanna live. That's the target. And so how can every single one of us, Kyle included, Kyle and Trish, our, I'm about to wear our community group out after this week. Like I'm so convicted, we gotta get back on the whiteboard and we gotta do some work in this. So how do we take that next step? How do we take two steps so that we're fully useful to the master, that we're good stewards of what God has entrusted to us? Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.